we are, I think we're in our final <clears throat> week on in the Proverbs and we're moving into Advent. We'll be in Luke for the most part this next month, ramping up to Christmas Day. Uh, we're going to be talking today about speaking and listening in our finale here from the Proverbs. But having said that, I want to start with a verse that begins Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. And that's really sort of putting a bow around what the Proverbs have to say about speaking and about not speaking, about listening. And of course, listening isn't just not speaking. It's not just being quiet. I'm going to talk about that briefly. But um, there's a time for both. And I think in our in our world, it's a world of noise. Unlike any any time before us, there's more noise now than ever. We have 24-hour channels for everything, news, sports, you name it. Cartoons, I don't care. It doesn't matter. There's a 24-hour there's a channel for it. And people are, you know, there's talk radio, which, of course, just makes you furious. So uh, it's like driving makes me furious enough. I don't need help. I don't need talk radio help. Um, listen to classical music or jazz or the scriptures or a sermon or <laughs> uh, something else while you're driving. Anyway, um, we are, our, our culture encourages us to talk, 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 and to be talk, 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 too. It's a culture of noise, but so little of, of substance is said. So little courage is demonstrated so little of, of true virtue and worth so little that's really needed it actually contributes to quality of life and moves us to the place we need to go is said these days and we're really not encouraged to listen very much but rather to talk and to talk on instagram to talk on our facebook page to have our own podcast whatever it is and here i am talking right so I'm not saying don't talk. What I am saying is there's a time for talking and there's um, a time for, for listening. And that's what we're talking about today in the Proverbs. And, you know, words, let's, let's talk about talking. Let's talk about speaking. Let's talk about words and the power of words in, in the Proverbs, but in the scriptures. Um, words are a big deal in life. And because the Proverbs are about how to live well, words are a big deal in this book, in the book of the Proverbs. Um, Longman, uh, Trimper Longman III, in his commentary, he puts it tersely. The right words bring life. The wrong words bring death. Uh, just think about, go no farther than the first three chapters of the Bible. In Genesis 2, the right words, God's words, are the key to life. They're like the guideposts to life. Um, the lines on a highway that keep you from dying, right? That keep you in the place you ought to be. And they are, look, eat freely from any tree, but don't eat from this one tree. Okay? If they had, if our forebears had obeyed that, things, the whole creation would have, would have had a very different trajectory. They didn't because in Genesis 3, the crafty serpent with his words he brought death with a seemingly innocuous 
insinuating question at first, right? Did God really say that you can't eat from any tree? And then on it went the downward slide with, with an astonishing celerity into total destruction of, of creation. Um, the right words bring life, God's words. The wrong words bring death. Solomon writes, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Isn't that an interesting back half of that verse? You know, we hear echoes of Eden in this verse. I'll read it again. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Right? Um, it's because of the wrong words and because she listened to them and, and essentially ate them, fed on them, was nourished by the words of the serpent, considered them, rolled them around in her tongue and her ears and her heart, that she cast her gaze upon the forbidden fruit and grabbed it, ate it, gave it to her husband. And he uh, unaccountably and passively and silently ate the fruit as well. And the greater blame, of course, is on his doorstep which is one of the reasons I believe that sin is passed down through the man. Um, but words have the power to make worlds. That's how God made all things. Through the word, we'll get to that. Words have the power to unmake worlds. It's the opposite of, never has a proverb or an aphorism been less true that uh, words, sticks and stones can break my bones, words will never hurt me. That's rubbish, right? We all know that. Um, Nothing is more fundamental than words. Nothing is more important than words. Words made all things. Words unmade all things. They can build or ruin people. We see that in Proverbs 10, 21 and 18, 21. They can build or ruin whole cities and civilizations. We see that in Proverbs 11, 11. The word made us. And the word remakes us. We see that in Genesis 1, 26 with God making man in his image through his word and then john 1 12 through his word made flesh he saves us he gives us the right right the right to become children of god through his word his son jesus christ um it's the word that saves us john three seventeen. the word holds everything in existence together colossians 1 17. Words are what we have, and words are all we have. Nothing is more important than our word, uh, than, than the word. Um, Tremper Longman says, wise speech reflects reality. Foolish speech twists it. You know, we can, we can use words to cover up reality or to expose it. Covering up reality with our words is evil. Exposing it for what it is at the right time in the right way is, is good. Um, this is why uh, obscure, obfuscating, fuzzy language is at the center of uh, evil regimes. Regimes that do harm, that end up killing millions. Uh, tyrannical regimes. They use language to... Uh, to hide things. Um, the official jargon of these bureaucracies um, 
these tyrannies, these autocracies, it doesn't reveal reality or expose it, it hides it and it twists it. So two examples of the same thing, the Nazi uh, regime, they turned death camps concentration camps. Concentrations of what? Right? Concentration camps. It's easy to say because it doesn't really tell us anything. It's a bland word that covers up evil, the evil of torture and murder. They should have called them murder camps, death camps. Um, the camps were almost always hidden. I've been to one. It was really, really hard to find even, even 10 years ago. Um, they were hidden up on the top of mountains or away from cities. They were hard to find. And in this way that geographically they express the soul of the enterprise and what the language uh, shows us that they were in, they were attempts to hide truth and hide reality. So the second example that shows us the same thing is the Soviets. The Soviet gulags are labor camps. They call them, you know, labor camps. They weren't much different. They were also death camps, far removed from watching eyes way up in the frozen north in Siberia. Um, evil hides itself. Okay, evil language is 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 no different. Language is connected to reality. Language is reality. Language makes reality. Um. And through twisting and misuse, it attempts to conceal the truth. The truth is plain. Jesus is the truth, and he and he was pinned to a beam of wood, his arms stretched out open wide, and himself naked. Nothing hidden for all to plainly see. Jesus hides nothing, but he exposes everything with the light of his character. Uh, the devil, on the other hand, is a liar and an accuser. Um, at the heart of both of these roles, lying and accusing, is, is words. We lie with our words. A lie is a truth intentionally twisted to deceive. We accuse with our words. We use them like missiles to hurl, hurl at others to harm them. But true words heal, and when they hurt, they only hurt to heal, like a surgeon. Right? So, so Jesus is the word. Therefore, John 1, 1, or because he is the word, that's how true words work, I should say. Um, it's the chicken and the egg. I just solved that riddle, just in case you're wondering. Um, Jesus is the word, John 1, 1, and the truth, John 14, 6. Right? And so his words hurt us sometimes, but only because we're sinners. And he intends to point out our sin, to bear it on his cross, uh, and, to, and to cleanse us from it, and to heal us. Um, from our brokenness, or in our brokenness. Um, the gospel is the word of truth, right? It first wounds us with the truth that we're sinners, justly deserving God's eternal wrath, judgment, and rejection. And then it heals that wound with the balm of Jesus, who took the wrath we've studiously merited and exhausted it on the cross. Such that in the place of wrath and judgment and rejection, we find kindness, liberation, and welcome into the arms of the Father. Uh, before we get to listening, just one more thing. Good words are not necessarily inherently good, right? Um, they have to be spoken at the right time. That's another thing the Proverbs tell us about words. Um, Proverbs fifteen twenty three: to make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season or in the right time is what the Hebrew means. How good it is. Right. Not just a good word anytime, but a good word in season at the right time. We all know examples of 
of this and how sometimes you could just say the right thing at the wrong time. And uh, it's, it doesn't help. In fact, it can hurt. Um, people who are bold and truth speakers by nature often miss this one. I know I do. We, uh, we need to say the right things at the right time. This is what, part of what makes them right. Uh, a word fitly spoken, or Longman translates this, in its right timing. A word spoken in its right timing, fitly. It's like apples of gold in settings of silver. Conversely, whoever blesses his neighbor, Proverbs 27, 14, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as a cursing. Just imagine um, waking your kids up with, good morning, and jumping jumping on them and shouting that in their ear. Um, it's not helpful. It's going gonna, it's gonna to tick your kids off. It's going to tick your neighbor off. Um, so that's just a bit on words and speaking. There's so much more. But now to, now to not words. We talked about words a little bit. Now to not words or to uh, not speaking or better than that, like I said earlier, to listening. Now, listening is differentiated from just not speaking. You can not speak and also just not be listening, right? Just because you're quiet doesn't mean you're, you're a good listener. Um, Proverbs 31.9 says, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So open your mouth. There's a time to speak, right? There's a time when not to speak is to sin. In, our, in the standard sort of confession in the Book of Common Prayer, and elsewhere we say this every week in our time of confession, uh, there are sins of commission. That's what we think of a lot of times. We think of sin, the things that we do, right? Of course, sin is much deeper as who we are uh, when we're born the first time. We need to born, be born a second time by faith in the word, Jesus, um, to have our dispositions and our character and our being changed. That's a, that's a different issue we're not talking about expressly today. But um, what was I saying? We... Uh, There is a time to speak when not to speak is is sin. Um, and I don't know why I brought up what I just brought up about um, about Jesus, but um, there is a time to speak. And um, oh, sins of omission and commission. We usually think of of, of sin as things that we commit, we do, but. Also, sin can be, and this this uh, this sort of implies this sin. Sin can also be things that you don't do that you ought to do. There are things we ought to do that we know we ought to do, and when we don't do them, we sin by not doing them, by inaction. So there's a time to speak. There's a time to stand up for what's right and to say what's right, and when you don't do that, it's sin. Um, and we need to be speaking up for those that can't speak up for themselves, that are voiceless, right, uh, to speak up for truth to speak up for the oppressed, to speak up for the unborn, and on it goes, um, to speak up for the poor who often don't have a voice, don't have social connections, don't have power. Um, but listening is also important, right? So speaking is important. We've talked about that some, but listening is also important. Uh, and that's something we don't hear much about in our culture. So being quiet, being quiet so we can hear God speak, being quiet so we can listen, hear others speak. You know, a friend once said to me that um, so part of what we do when we multiply out new house churches is we um, we all take time to share our stories week, week by week until everyone has shared, um, yes, how they came to Christ, but really their, their story, how they got to where they're sitting on that present day. 
and that tells us a lot about who they are and it helps them um it helps them connect the dots of their own life it helps to tell our stories as healing and to have others listening well not just being quiet but listening well asking good questions taking notes praying over us afterwards ministering to us that's them knowing us and taking time to know us uh, in really important ways. And that's actually proven to be very healing. And my friend just said, Hey, there's, 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 there are a few things you can do to it's one of the most loving things you can do to someone to listen well to them. And I think one of the stats I've heard is that most people, uh, the average person in America gets, I don't know how they get these stats, but gets listened to well, seven minutes a week, seven minutes a week. That is a paucity of, of good listening. Uh, which is why people need to go to shrinks. It's why people need to go to counselors. Just to, a lot of times, it's just to be listened to well. And uh, we're going to get into this, but part of listening well is asking good questions, not just being quiet, right? A lot of quiet people think that they're great listeners. A lot of times, that's not true. It's not passive; it's active, right? Um, so there's a time to listen, and listening is so important. Listening to one another, listening to the Lord. And so much of prayer is listening. I mean, when you're reading your your Bible, that ought to be listening. That's his voice. That's God's word. It's an act of listening. As his spirit speaks through his word and, and in conjunction with his word uh, in other ways to us. As he speaks to us to listen and then to, and then to speak back at the proper time. Um, so... Great listening involves often involves asking good questions. Jesus was a great listener, the best. He still is a great listener. He hasn't changed. He never will. Um, he's always there to listen to us. Um, on this earth, he asked over in the Gospels. We see that he asked what uh, he was. He asked well over two hundred questions. Okay, uh, I didn't do the counting. Someone else has, but he asked well over. I think it's closer to three hundred. It's like two hundred eighty-seven or something questions in the gospels he asked jesus asked almost 300 questions well over 200 but he only gave apparently three upfront answers three and he gave a lot of answers on the back end of um after he would ask a question then he would often give answers but uh so many questions so few uh answers initially Right. So he's not someone going around just saying, I know it all, even though he did know it all. <laughs> he's asking questions because questions invite a response. Questions are effective on a number of levels, but they invite they're an invitation into relationship. And I think that's one of the reasons. And they're also probing. I think those are a couple of reasons that Jesus is a master of question asking. I mean, it's the first thing back to everything in the Bible, by the way, grows out of the acorn, the whole oak tree of the Bible and of salvation history and of history. It grows out of the acorn of the first three chapters, Genesis 1 through 3. Something only God could do, by the way. It, all the DNA is there. All the DNA is there. But, uh, you know, that's the first thing God, and when Jesus comes on the scene, he sounds just like God, the God of the Old Testament. There's a reason for that, right? <laughs> He's here. Um, it's the first thing, first thing God does. Two verses after Adam and Eve eat the fruit that has been forbidden, and bring creation crashing down around them and close themselves off from God. He asks, he comes and he asks a simple question. Where are you? Jesus comes asking questions because he is the living God. Come to bring us back to the garden and indeed beyond it, to a garden city and to himself. 
So um, he came asking questions. Jesus, great question asker, great listener. We have two ears and one mouth because God wants to teach us to listen twice as often as we speak, right? And I realize that we also, there are physiological reasons for that. We have an ear on either side of our round head to listen better. I get that. Um, but I have scriptural backup here. Jesus' half-brother writes, let us be quick to listen and slow to speak. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Um, what does that do? What does that mean? Why does he say the wrath of man? In other words, he's implying strongly in that first connection that speaking a lot produces wrath. It, it, it stirs us up. And that doesn't produce godly character. Right. Someone who's always talking. I've never I don't know that I've ever encountered someone that just talks like a torrent in uh, his in his godly. I've encountered a lot of godly people that listen well. Um, lots of listening has a calming effect. Lots of speaking does not have a calming effect. You ever seen a red faced listener? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's funny. I, I chuckle when I say that because, no, you have not seen. OK, maybe once. But you don't see red faced listeners. You ever seen a red faced Haranger, someone that's just, just a, just a, on tirade is just a torrent of words. Of course, of course, it works people up. It gets them into a frothy mouth frenzy. Proverbs 12, 1 and 15. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. And then 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The fool, in other words, the fool is always talking, 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 talking. When you're talking, you can't listen. Keller, Tim Keller unpacks these. Uh, tersely by saying, if you always know best, you are stupid. Wow. I, I know a woman who talks incessantly. I don't know how she breathes, honestly. Her words are uh, an avalanche. It is hard to get a word in while, while I don't even say speaking with her, by being in her presence. And when you're on the phone with her, it's almost impossible to hang up the phone without hanging up on her because she's just talks, talks, talks. Even when you say you have to go, which is hard to even say I have to go because she's joining word to word and sentence so quickly. Um, you can literally, and I've done this, put the phone down and come back to it a couple of few minutes later and she's still talking. She hasn't even skipped a beat. She doesn't know you've been gone. She doesn't care that you've been gone. There's no dialogue. There's only monologue. It's just she's a mouth. There's no relationship because it's all one sided. It's all about her. She's not inviting you to speak. There's no listening. There's no, there's no relationship. Um, um, listening is an invitation, like I said, and so is speaking if it's a question. No wonder Jesus asked so many questions. Um, and when we speak, let us speak in such a way that we're inviting responses, right? And that we're, when we are speaking, we're offering things that contribute, um, contribute to Contribute something of substance to what's being discussed and help move the conversation forward. Words that are helpful. Words that are eliciting. Words that are inviting. Um, so back to this woman. She she always talks. She never listens. She never asks questions. So what has she done? She's pushed. She's isolated herself. She's pushed everyone in her life away. As soon as she uh, makes a new friend and we hear about it and she's got this new friend on the block or whatever that she's met at the grocery store. Um, we're, we always just are like, oh, man, it's a somebody that doesn't know her. It's, that's the new friend. They don't know who she is. And we're, we're always just counting the minutes, 
counting the days, counting the weeks until she's pushed that person away. And she does invariably. She's, she's all alone. Even her family has, has abandoned her because she makes her relationship impossible. Um, when she, her, her talk is almost all accusation or rant or something that's wrong with the world. And she's certain all the time. There's just an, there's just an, an unbreakable certitude. The author of Ecclesiastes says in three Hebrew words, the fool multiplies words. Okay. The fool multiplies words. So, so much of the Proverbs are about shutting your mouth, listening. When you speak, offer something of value, worthy of comment, something that invites response, something that uh, is giving voice to those that don't have a voice. Hitler uh, was famous for his harangues, for his multi-hour monologues late into the uh, early morning sometimes, um, where literally nobody else would speak for hours. Transcripts are available of, of some of these harangues, and they make for almost unbearable reading as he was up there in his, in his uh, Bavarian mountain haunts um, in the Bechtischgaden and Eagle's Nest. The man, the man loved to hear himself talk. And you see, you see where that got him. Um, in many words, there is sin. If you talk a lot, you will sin eventually. Proverbs ten nineteen. Try to listen more than you talk. Don't talk a lot, but don't stop talking like the guy who stopped talking for seventeen straight years. Um, that's right. If you haven't listened to his TED talk, it's it's pretty interesting. His name is John Francis, and he in nineteen seventy one. He saw two oil tankers collide under the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco in the Bay Area, and it disturbed him so much uh, that he stopped riding in motorized vehicles. And then he was talking about that and other things uh, soon thereafter to some friends, and he realized that they were just talking at each other, and just instead of listening, they were just waiting to to speak as the other person was talking they were they had already they were formulating their answer right have you ever done that i do that all the time um so when you do that you're not listening and sometimes you do that when you pray in circles you're thinking about what you're going to pray instead of just listening to the person pray and praying with them right <laughs> so he just decided you know what i'm just going to stop talking so i can actually listen like he, he was doing the same thing and he just decided to be quiet for an hour and then for a day and then the next day and it turned into 17 years it's interesting. I wouldn't necessarily recommend being quiet for 17 years, but uh, it's interesting to see the fruit of that, how much it did. He didn't have any. There was there was he was a man of no distinction beforehand, but he ends up he's doing a TED talk, obviously, in 2009, I think it is. And during those 17 years, it's incredible the things that he talks about. He I think he's written a book, um, but he became um, he became an ambassador for like a South American country. I think he walked all the way to South America. He traveled all over the world. He got a couple degrees, undergraduate, graduate, maybe a PhD. He, um, I mean, just amazing. I think he wrote, yeah, wrote a book. I'm not sure if he wrote a book during that time, but absolutely amazing. The power of just not talking, the power of listening. Okay. Since, um, have you ever noticed how when you, are talking, it's almost impossible to listen. So just think about it that way. Like there is a time to speak, but just know that when you're speaking, 
you're probably not listening. Since God is the word, shouldn't we be listening to him and not talking at him all the time? Shouldn't so much of prayer just be listening, reading his word, being quiet, asking him questions? Um, And Jesus is the word, which is why God's written word, the scripture, always points us to his living word, his dear son, uh, Jesus Christ, right? John, John 5, 39 and 40. Jesus says to the teachers of the day, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them uh, you have life, but it is they that point to me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. Jesus is the point. The word is the capital W word is the point. The living word is the point of the written word. Lady Wisdom's call is summed up in one word. Lady Wisdom in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 6, she says, her first word in the verse is here, Shema in the Hebrew, here. And the most important command in the Bible, Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 4 and 5, starts with the same word, here, Israel. Okay, hear what God is saying. Hear what wisdom is saying, what God is saying in his wisdom, by his word, here, listen, let us be a hearing people. Let us be a listening people. Let us be an attentive people. Let us be a quiet people. I love that that command in the epistles in the New Testament where it says to let us make it our ambition to work quietly with our hands. I love that. I love that. Produce something of worth. Be quiet. Be about your business. As Voltaire, who, yes, was agnostic or atheist, said, tend tend your garden. Do good work. Jesus did good and small work for most of his life as a carpenter and stonemason. It's important stuff. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus said that over and over again. He who has ears to hear. Lord, would you give us ears to hear? Would you make us a people who listen, who hear your voice, and who follow you? Um, just as I close, uh, it's been 30 minutes, so I, I'll just, I'll just jump. These are meant to be actually just skipped through, but let me just leave you with some sort of proverbial aphorisms uh, on listening as I, as I close down the lesson. Uh, a lot of this is just riffing off of Tim Keller, but, um, and these are all based on Proverbs, <clears throat> but Proverbs 12, 1 and 15, which I've already mentioned, uh, be open to correction. Don't just be open to correction. Seek it out. That's what we see even more in Proverbs 15, 31 through 33. Don't just be open to correction, right? Seek out correction. Seek out discipline and instruction. This is a sign of wisdom, and it makes one wise. You know, God's word often, it's where, it's in the places that make us wince. I mean, all the, all the prophets got killed for a reason. They didn't, people, as they conveyed God's word to God's people, God's people didn't want to hear it. It was offensive to them. God's word offends our flesh to the death. The only step we can take with God, the only first step is is to die, is to repent, is to turn from our way and to say, no, your way, I'm wrong. That's a death. You're the boss, I'm not. That's a death. That hurts. But you know what? It's the only portal to life. So don't just be open to correction. Seek it out. That's the In the Proverbs, a huge differentiator between the wise person and the fool. The fool hates correction. That's why he's talking all the time. You can't be corrected if you're talking all the time. When you're listening, you can be. The, the, the wise person 
learns even from other people getting corrected. The wise person learns from the slightest rebuke, the harshest rebuke you can learn from. The rebuke that doesn't have hardly any truth in it, you will find as a wise person some truth in it to learn from. The fool is the opposite. The fool can get beaten upside the head with the truth and just continues in his way. But there is a point at which you stiffen your neck and you're you stiffen your neck so much that you put yourself beyond rebuke, so such that when you're, uh, it doesn't just take a touch. You're not supple. It takes it takes breaking your neck, and 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 you're beyond reproof. Your correction will literally kill you, right? Don't don't do don't be that kind of person. Um, we see we see all that truth in Proverbs like seventeen ten nineteen twenty five twenty one eleven twenty six three. Um, being a sign of being a child of God is that you're you're quick to change your ways based on words of truth. You listen well. You receive instruction without getting bitter. You ask for it. Um, get all the advice you can. Proverbs eleven fourteen and twenty four five through six. Surround your people, right? Surround yourself, I should say, with people who will speak truth to you, who will love you enough to speak truth to you. Because that's that's hard. It's hard to speak truth to someone um, that needs it and they need correction. Uh, it's easier just to kind of gloss over things and be happy, happy, but that's not loving. But nobody, if they don't care for you, they're not going to speak hard things to you. Surround yourself with people that will speak hard things to you that care enough. And one way to do that is to be a person that invites that, to listen. Man, I mean, it's really hard to say stuff, even when you know somebody needs to hear something. If you know they're a fool and they, they're just going to jump all over you or not listen to what you have to say or make you feel horrible for telling them something they need to hear, you're just probably not going to say it. So don't be a person that that attracts flatterers, that attracts people that just want to have a good time and tell you what you want to hear and aren't going to get down and dirty with you, um, that are afraid to to say something that you need to hear. Don't be that kind of person. Invite, uh, in the way that you are in the company that you keep, invite people that will say hard things to you when you need it, that will speak the truth in love. Um, Hitler was the opposite. Every tyrant I've ever studied was the opposite. Tyrants surround themselves with yes-men, with people that say things that they want to hear because they just kill you if you say something that you um, they don't want to hear. Um, and he had a it was it was good for him for a while. It was he was living high on the hog for he had twelve years of, of rich richness. Although the last years were miserable for him, I think. But um, what what's twelve years living high on the hog compared to eternity? And look how much damage he left in his wake, right? How about you? So the importance of speaking and listening and inviting rebuke and inviting correction. Are you listening? Are you humble? God's call to you is to repent and to come to him by faith through the son that he sent to save you. Matthew 3, 2. Have you? And if you're a Christian, that's the call daily, daily, daily. He comes to us and he has things for us, words of life, words of correction, words of loving rebuke as our good father. Have you done that? Have you submitted to his word? Have you received it? Or are you kicking against the goads, kicking against the spikes? Is it hard for you? Is it painful for you? Are you insisting on going your own way and plugging your ears like Saul of Tarsus in Acts 26, 14? Um, that being said, don't listen to everyone. Reject lies. Spoken by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Replace them with the truth. Receive the truth. Because it's the truth. John 8, 32. It's the truth. And his name is Jesus. That will set you free. 
his word is, this is how sinful you are, that I had to come and be rejected and die on a Roman cross for you and endure the wrath of my father that you deserved in your place. This is how, this, this is the word of truth. This is the, the hard word. This is how messed up you are. It's, it's not just lipstick on a pig. It's, it's a total redo. It's a second birth. You have to be born a second time. The first time, the first time is a, is a, you're dead. You were born dead on arrival. Selfish, utterly self-centered and wanting to be in the driver's seat. That's the hard word. And that's the first word of the gospel. But that walks us into a much better word, which is the cross also shows us and the incarnation of the Son of God also shows us how deeply we are loved. How he came after us when we hated him to rescue us and to bring us back to his father. And he's made a way and he is the way um, to that father. And so that's the word of the gospel, too. That's the word that is spoken to you that in Christ that is literally being offered by me to you now. Um, whether you don't know the Lord yet and you want to come to him or whether you're a believer and you just need to just um, dwell on that truth. Um, receive what he's saying to you by his word and his spirit today and walk in that. Um, so the importance of speaking and listening, I, I dare say nothing is more important. It's probably a good, a good thing to finish on here in the Proverbs.